Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of I Don't Know with Samantha George. This is the weekly podcast where we talk about life, conspiracy theories, the paranormal, speak to guests and occasionally have some deep conversations. I'm honestly super excited about today's episode, even with the 12-hour time difference and actually a pretty spontaneous interview if I have to say so myself. I have been privileged, honestly, to have a speaker, storyteller, author, coach, mentor, entrepreneur, educator, two-time TEDx speaker, a community do-gooder. He has mentored hundreds of individuals, worked with 45-plus nonprofits over the span of 25 years, and has spent the last 17-plus years in BD School of Business as a lecturer, administrator, and is also on the Alumni Association Board. We have Sam Tierra. Hi, Sam. Uh, Great to be here, Samantha. I always say, don't do the introduction because now you've set high expectations of your audience <laughs> members. <laughs> I mean, from what I know, I'm already, ex- you know, I'm super impressed. I'm already, my expectations are already pretty high and I'm pretty sure you live up to it. I have no doubt about it. So Thank Sam, you. in his book, Lost and Found, describes himself as a British born Indian who lived in Canada for most of his life and whose parents came from Fiji. So I mean, like I mentioned again, Sam, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on my podcast. I've read your book. And honestly, first things first, the cover itself was so unique. And, you know, it it just made me feel more Indian. All I am, but it made, you know, it drew the essence. If I had to describe mm-hmm. India, I would probably show your book and be like, hey, this is what India is about. So right. thank you so much for the book. And, uh, you know, it. I haven't seen a lot of India, even though I'm Indian myself. And that book mm. accurately described everything from, you know, the bustling of auto rickshaws and chaos <laughs> with the traffic <laughs> to, you know, every inch of the Golden Temple and Taj Mahal. Mm. So thank you for the book. And I would love if you could, you know, explain yeah. a bit about yourself. Oh, definitely. As mentioned, I was born in England, raised in Canada. My parents come from Fiji and my grandfathers and my ancestors are all from Punjab. And it was growing up, you, it's, it's really difficult to describe your cultural identity because you're growing up in Canadian society, yet there's a part of you that has other areas and spectrums. And I think a lot of people struggle with identity. I mean, you know, you, know, you may be, even in India, you may be Sikh, you may be Hindu, you may be Gujarati, uh, you may be Madrasi, it doesn't matter. But, you know, do you feel connected to the place, but do you feel connected to the country? And for me, it was more complicated because we were, you know, more than two generations separated from my ancestors. And my, you know, my grandfather left when he was a young lad from, you know, Punjab, made his way to Calcutta, landed in Fiji. And we're not sure exactly the reason why Fiji. He was on his way to Argentina because there's cattle ranching there. Now, you know, did he land in Fiji and basically comes from a landlocked part of Punjab and just basically said, I've had enough of sea travel. This is where I get off. Or maybe he saw Fiji and said, oh, my gosh, this is a beautiful paradise. I have to get off here. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he thought this was Argentina, got off the boat, the boat left. And he's like, wait, this isn't Argentina. We don't know for sure. All we know is that's where life started. But it meant that we were separated from our ancestral roots and I needed to reconnect with it. And 
I think one of the ways that I, I sort of describe that is I was a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me, but it was. Yes, that was, I mean, that was so accurate when you explained it. And you also explained yourself being a kitchery, right? And yes, I think that was, especially me, it hit me a lot because I feel everyone, the world together is just a giant bowl of kitchery. If we all think about oh. it that way. Totally. I mean, I lived my life as a Thali. <laughs> so the the platter, which was segmented into British, Canadian, Indian, Fijian. And I mean, for 11 years, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So there's even some Irish chutney on the side. So I was always segmenting myself into these various categories. But by going to India, I remember waking up at like four in the morning when I was about the day I was going to go to visit the Golden Temple. And I just it was shaken up awoken up and I just said oh my gosh I'm kitchari I'm a blend of flavors and for those listeners who aren't from India kitchari is this beautiful rice dish it's a it's a comfort food you go to your fridge with you know with your rice and then you pull whatever vegetables you have you add your spices and flavor to it and it's all blended and it's it's more it helped me to appreciate and embrace that I don't need to segment I mean I'm going to embrace all of my cultural backgrounds and it just becomes this beautiful kitchery. Definitely. It's very well put in the book. And mm. I mean, at the end of the day, like you mentioned, you're the thari, you're a kitchery, And at the end of it, you just taste good. And that's what matters at the end of the day. <laughs> a spicy kitchery at that. So yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, when you spoke about, you know, people, even in India, having this cultural, you know, cultural mm-hmm. identity crisis, I can personally relate to it. Because even though I didn't really have a crisis as such, my mom is from, I mean, my mom's an Anglo Indian, so she has British ancestors. And my dad's a Malayali. So mm-hmm. how would you describe someone, you know, who doesn't really belong to either? How do they... Mm-hmm describe themselves how do they feel you know when you have this question like who are you how would you make that person explain it yeah and I think what we need to do is understand that the cultural component is only one component of the bigger picture of who you are in other words you know it's just one area that resonates with us but there's multiple facets we are not uh you know one-dimensional we are multi-dimensional individuals so It's more like embrace all of those aspects that surround you, but equally at the same time, be focused on you as an individual and who you are, as opposed to what you are or what you do. Really appreciate who you are as an individual. And this is where, whether I'm teaching my class, whether I'm coaching people, I'm always sharing with them that instead of trying to understand what you're going to do or what you are, Let's concentrate on who you are, because once you know who you are, the what seems to materialize in front of you. Yes, definitely. I totally get that. Speaking of what's and who and all of the questions, there was one part of your book where you speak about the Golden Temple, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You went to the Golden Temple and you were overwhelmed with a lot of emotions. And that honestly made me retrospect because you were in a conundrum. You were wondering about uh, why you, you started asking why's and what's, and then you automatically moved on to 
what am I feeling rather than why am mm-hmm. I feeling? And I feel most of us mm-hmm. when we're in the situation, we're generally like, you know, why do I feel like this? Why is it happening to me? Why me all the time? Mm-hmm. But you moved on so quickly to what is that emotion? So what mm-hmm. is the difference between, you know, what emotions and why emotions? And why is it important yeah. to understand what you feel before the why's? Well, I think when you're when you're talking about the why or the why emotions and then the what emotions, I feel that, you know, if you don't have a, a solid, firm understanding of who you are, then you're starting to think about why are these things happening to me? Why these emotions are emerging? And, you know, I think that that makes it so, you know, you're questioning all the time. When I say what is, and this is where when I was sitting in the temple, you know, the why was a flicker, but the what became the fire. Mm -hmm. Because the what was, uh, because I have a very firm and solid understanding of who I am as an individual, when these things happen, you're now not focusing on why they're happening to me, but what does it mean? And then focusing on the whole aspect of, of lying in the what. And I think the essence of all of this resonates with regards to when you realize who you are as an individual, you've ticked that part off because then you're better prepared and accepting of the things that are coming to you. When I was sitting in the golden temple, I mean, I had this very deep spiritual moment. Now I'm not a very religious person, but something happened there where it literally felt like someone came and put this blanket around me and I started weeping And I started praying and I'm not even that religious. I don't even pray, but I was praying for the world. And it was more of just the sense of feeling of belongingness. Now I've had these sort of spiritual moments. It doesn't necessarily have to be at the golden temple or some, it could be out in the woods when I'm walking. It could be just somewhere where I'm sitting and something happens where you just sort of embrace it. And part of that is because Understanding solidly who you are, you can better appreciate the things that are actually going on around you. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So it starts off with understanding who you are and then moving on to what's or why's for that matter. Mm -hmm. So uh, in your book, you, I have noticed there's one thing that is there in common. You don't, you have the don't give up attitude. And, you know, after graduating, even with a business and political science degree, you were rejected Mm -hmm. from 86 jobs, but still Mm -hmm. you did not give up. Even with, you know, so many different negative connotations coming Mm -hmm. at you, you did not give up. So what is the driving force that, you know, motivates you to keep going no matter what? The realization is after the fact that I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. That's a space a lot of people just are afraid of, don't want to be in, whereas I embrace that. And I think as anyone who's an entrepreneur, man, we thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. Nothing is laid out for us. Um, when you talk about those 86 rejection letters, that these are the 86 wow. rejection letters. It's like a brick. Wow. And I graduated from university with a degree in business and political science and I was ready to take on the world. And I sat there saying to myself, what a great combination, business and political science, who's lucky to get me. And I started then at, after graduation and thinking about it, I said, okay, wait. And then I started applying for jobs and I sent off 12 letters and I was sat back waiting for somebody to say, okay, you're the one. And, and okay, who am I going to pick out of these 12 companies? About two weeks later, a letter arrived 
in the mail and it basically, and I opened it up, it was from one of the companies and it said, sorry, we don't have a job for you. Good luck. I thought, well, that's okay. I still have 11 letters out there. I'm going to send three more. But I was sending these letters out, but without really any purpose and focus, just saying, that's a good company, or I think that's a good job. Mm-hmm. Again, I was just really focused on maybe the what side of things. And these letters kept coming back. And eventually, it switched from who's lucky to get me to am I lucky to get a job? And I won't uh, mislead your audience. I mean, 86 rejections. After a while, every single rejection letter became a nail in my coffin of self-confidence. But then eventually, I got my first job. Someone had basically said, yes, okay, we'll take you. And I mean, with a degree in business and political science, I mean, you'd think, okay, the first job you would land is entry-level government, right? Yeah. And you know what? That was my first job, entry-level government. I wound up mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins in a hospital as a janitor with a degree on my wall. And that's government work because you're part of the government employees union. Well, instead of looking at it, and this goes towards what you're saying, instead of focusing on it as, are you kidding me? I have a degree on my wall and here I am being a janitor. Instead, I walked into that job going, what am I going to learn from this? And there are three valuable life lessons that I pulled today that actually still carries me to who I am today. Mm -hmm. The first lesson, my father said, I don't care what you do. You better do the best job possible because your reputation is on the line. Whether you are a janitor or a CEO of a company, it doesn't matter. You never compromise the quality of work. To this day, I still put so much tremendous effort into anything I do because of that. The second valuable lesson. There were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, administrators, and I have a janitor's uniform on. I would not even be acknowledged. I know what it feels like to be rejected or to be ignored. Mm -hmm. I told myself I will never treat people like this. So I talked to everybody. This is why it's been about 5,000 conversations to date to help people in life and career, because I know what this feels like. And the third valuable lesson is I have a degree on my wall and people saying you wasted your time. Now, it made me realize that if I'm going to be a janitor, are there things that I can pull from this? And there are lessons. And it told me and taught me that in anything we do in life, be open to the experience. And you'd be amazed at what you will learn about yourself and about the job. Now, here's the important part about these rejection letters. Do you realize that if one of these letters would have materialized, Samantha, I would not be talking to you today. My life would have gone in a different trajectory. The other thing that's really important is I reflect on these letters. Many of those companies no longer exist. I still do. I outlasted most of those companies. We are resilient people. And, you know, the whole idea was, I think the problem was I was focused on what, what do I want to do? What am I going to do? And in my life, when I eventually got to the corporate job, the moment I said, who am I? Everything changed and everything started to flow in a totally different direction. I say I was on the wrong train. I was going in a direction focused on a destination, the next promotion, this and that. 
the moment I switched to from what to who, I realized I'm on the wrong train in life. I got off at the next stop and I got on the right train. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, this time of uncertainty with COVID and stuff, especially in India, you know, a lot of youth, including me, we graduated and we were put in the situation where none of us knew how to function or what's going to happen, what's going to go on ahead. So how do you suggest we cope with such uncertainties and find the answer to who we are? Right. There's two ways I will describe that. One is uh, care and the other one is the five core elements. Uh, Going back to COVID, COVID and the pandemic has impacted every single person globally, every single person. Slowly, we are emerging from this. And what I would share with individuals and, you know, young people, especially companies, teams or schools, nonprofits, there is a need for us to care right now. We need to care. But what care stands for is collaboration, adaptability, resilience and empathy. Collaboration means what is it that you hold and have? What is it that I hold and have? And how can we work together? Let's tap into each other's resources to to gain even more power. So collaboration. Mm -hmm. Adaptability is we've all had to suddenly on a dime become adaptable and change. And adaptability means, you know, you have to shift away from what was to what is and what will be. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, we are always adaptable. The third one is resilience. And resilience is realizing this isn't over today or tomorrow. Resilience means this is a marathon. And how do you build the resilience in so that you can cope with what's going on around you? And finally, E stands for empathy, showing care and compassion to each other. We have no idea what people are going through. And I've always said you have to be empathetic and support. So if we demonstrate care, this is something that will help your listeners, help your youth, uh, anybody in industry, but we need to care. The other part that I will share with you is what I call the five core elements. And this, this is what really struck me to my core and the transition and realized I was on the wrong train is instead of defining ourselves by what we do, Let's start talking about who you are. For example, in my class, when I teach my class, and these are university students, I make every single student write a personal statement. Mm-hmm. And then they say it's one of the hardest things they've done because I don't want a resume. No, no. I want you to tell me for the first time when you and I meet, tell me who you are. The five core elements is basically a concept I came up with where what are the five things that you are not willing to compromise in life and career, and not just career, but life and career. So the five things that guide me in life, servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Any project, any opportunities that I come across has to line up with five out of five. Mm -hmm. I've got about 12 projects I'm working on right now. All 12 hit five out of five. Now, how do you come up with this? And why is this important? Think of it this way. If you were to build a house, don't you need a real solid foundation for your house? When have we really built a solid foundation for our life? What people are fearful for is, Sam, you're making me pick five things. What if they're not the right words? 
what I've said is your words will change over time. Mine have changed over time. Instead of worrying too much about the exact word that you need, find the words that really resonate, that you are not willing to compromise. You are going to make a stand. Now, how you come up with these five things, it's pretty straightforward. Look at the jobs that you've done. What did you like about it? Did not like about it? And ask yourself, why? What courses did you do in school that you liked and didn't like? Ask yourself, why? What do you like to do in your spare time and social time? Why? The idea is by asking the question, why? So, you know, why am I a story sharer? Well, then I say, because I have something to share with people. Okay, that's great. But Sam, why is sharing your story so important? Well, by sharing stories, I'm able to help people in their journey. Okay, Sam, why is that important? Well, by helping people in their journey, I'm able to guide them to their own personal successes, and I want to see people succeed. And the idea is you keep going down, but this is where the words come forward. For example, oftentimes when I say, okay, tell me one thing, you are not willing to compromise. And people say family. I said, okay, why is family important to you? And they're like, well, because of those relationships and connectedness that I have, connectedness that I have. I'm like, okay, wait. So that relationship and connectedness, does that apply to your school or does that apply to your work, et cetera? And they're like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, okay, instead of family, can we replace that with relationships and connectedness? And they're like, yeah, because that's more far reaching and that's important. And it's wide enough that I can embrace that. And it's so funny. I was even out for dinner last night with uh, my teaching assistant. And again, we were talking about the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's all about introspection, um, personal sort of thoughts and ideas. But what are the five things that are so important to you that you're not willing to compromise? Okay, that's very well said. I think uh, even me, you know, uh, there was actually a piece that I wrote when you were spoke when you spoke about this. It automatically came to my mind. It talks mm-hmm. about humans, and normally when we introduce ourselves, we normally, if someone's like, "Hey, Samantha, why don't you introduce yourself?" I automatically say, "Like, okay, this is what I graduated. I got this degree. Mm-hmm. I did this job," and we just never, like, you know, talk about ourselves. Like, I'm Samantha. I like this. Yep. I like this. I like that. We're so in tune with, you know, a pre-existing system of what we are. We always put that as our career or our profession rather than who we are. So, yeah. Well, and if, if I may, like, so if Samantha was to ask Sam, you know, as an introduction, let's say you and I met at an event in, uh, you know, somewhere in India Mm -hmm. and you said, Sam, tell me, you know, who are you? I would say, I would, I would use this phrase. There are five things that guide and direct me in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five components has allowed me to help countless individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits. It's also enabled me to become a speaker, storyteller, author and a writer, mentor and a coach, a problem solver, an educator, and a community activator. Now, isn't that a much more interesting, engaging way of describing yourself to someone? Because now all of a sudden, somebody's like, oh, so community activator, what does that mean? Or, okay, so tell me about how you've helped organizations or individuals. So anyways, that's, uh, I think, the way that 
it becomes a much more compelling statement. Definitely. I think a lot of us, especially the listeners and young people can definitely take something from the five core elements that you have explained. Uh, now talking, I'm a big believer of learning from other people's mistakes, mm-hmm. because you know, by the time you complete do mistakes of yourself, it's going to take a long process. So is there any mistake that you've done that you've learned from? Mm-hmm. And uh, could you mm-hmm. share it with us? Oh, for sure. It also relates to one of the most important quotes that I live by. Obstacles are the necessary bricks on our road to success. In other words, do not fear the obstacles, do not fear the setbacks, gain from them and learn from them and you become stronger. I mean, as an entrepreneur, has every single business idea that I've run worked? And the answer is, of course not. And, you know, the first book I wrote, you know, I learned from it because, you know, there was this, I, I, put the book out and, you know, it's on personal storytelling and how do we help people tell stories? I mean, and the, from the company that I worked with, they said, we'll build a marketing plan and uh, we'll do the marketing side for you. And I thought this is great. Okay. Somebody's going to plug and play and do the marketing. So I spent all this money on a marketing plan. I got an amazing press release and zero copies of my book sold. But what I learned is I'm not their priority. I'm my own priority. And as a result of it, I know that for my second book, Lost and Found, there's a lot of heavy lifting that I'm going to have to do from a marketing standpoint to reach out to different companies, organizations, individuals, um, influencers, you know, people that, uh, you know, could promote the book. But the important thing about this, though, is I never wrote this book because of how much money I can make from it or anything like that. I, it's a beautiful story that just needs to be shared. And who knows, maybe a, a screenplay in the future. But, <laughs> uh, but the idea, though, is, um, you know, we learn from those setbacks. You don't dwell on those setbacks. I mean, I could sit there and say, well, I just spent all this money, no books sold. And that's not going to work. It quickly reminds me of this one blog post that I wrote. After I released my first book, I went to Toronto for a book fair. And there, I wrote the blog post, it's going to the fair, not fair. And what I mean by that is, I went to the book fair to say, who am I going to meet? Who am I going to interact? I'm going to have fun. It's going to be F-A-I-R. But the lady next to me was miserable. Because she was just like, if I don't sell this many books, uh, I don't break even and it's a loss. And she just sat there very miserable, just on her phone, standing behind her, sitting behind her desk, not even engaging people. Me, I was all over the place, walking around, shaking hands, talking to people. She looked at it as fair, F-A-R-E. And I think that that's the differentiator or the difference is I went in saying, I'm going to have fun and engage not just myself, but the audience members or the people around me. She was so focused on the financial side. It just wasn't fun to watch her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And I mean, speaking about your book, you have, I, uh, you have any news to share? <laughs> well, I mean, you put the book out and like I said, it's the cover's really beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful book, beautifully uh-huh. told. And, you know, you reach out to people and I was able to get a letter. So my book got into the hands of Amita Bachchan. Wow, congratulations. Just, That's big moves right there. 
No, do you know what? And it's special. I mean, just to have a handwritten or a letter from Amita Bachchan saying, thank you so much for your book. I'm intrigued by it. I just need him to tweet once, um, you know, or maybe reach out to somebody in Bollywood to say, this is a good book. I think there's a movie here. And, uh, you know, and, and Samantha, if this book becomes a, a screenplay or a movie, Yes. I want a cameo appearance somewhere in the background. I'll be the chai wala. Maybe Samantha will be the person I'm serving the chai to. And we both sort of don't look at the camera, but we're in the movie. Yes. Lovely. I mean, uh, guys, you heard it here first. We need to get lost and found as a, a movie deal right now. Go ahead and use hashtags lost and found on screen right now. <laughs> I can already, I'm manifesting that. I can picture it happening for you. Mm. It's a lovely well, and, book. Well, no, and Samantha, you, you cameo appearance. I'll come to <laughs> India and then we'll just be in the background. Definitely, definitely. I can already imagine, you know, uh, like Karina Kapoor is your wife. And like, um, I mean, who's your favorite actor? We could probably. He's got to be young. Him. He's got to be younger, younger than me <laughs> right now. We'll come up with somebody, I'm yeah. sure. And, you know, here's the way I guide my life as well. Um, I actually would give the roles to people that are struggling to get a, a role as opposed mm-hmm. to someone who's famous. Yes. Uh, again, I just think that breakthrough. I mean, yeah, if definitely. this could be a breakthrough for somebody, that's the best part. I, I'm one of those individuals who it's not about, uh, it's it's never about my ego or, you know, status or, credit or any of that stuff um in fact i was just talking to a student uh, just the other day she's struggling to find uh, a co-op placement and co-op is a work term while you're studying and you know she's a digital marketer but you know she's an international student with no experience and i said well i mean if you if you want to volunteer with me i can't pay you right now but if things progress and we do well of course i'll pay you but I'll be your reference and, um, you know, you can put it under my company name and I'm happy to then open the doors for you. And she just sat there going like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to do this for me? And I said, you know, it's not about, oh, great, I get free labor and I can have uh, this work done for free. It's more like, no, no, I really want to ignite this person because I know she's going to do so well in life. She just needs that hand up right now. And that's what I would like to do with as many people as possible. That's lovely. I mean, I think more people should be like you, you know, in the world, we could definitely do with a lot of people who tries to uplift people rather than put them down. I think Mm -hmm. right now, at least that's something that we need. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to ask you, uh, you know, final question. If you had any advice to give to young people, what would it be? Okay. Uh, I just wanted to go back to the obstacles are your necessary bricks on your road to success because you are going to be rejected. You are going to have setbacks. Mm -hmm. Take the time to learn from them. Equally at the same time, the five core elements, who are you versus what you're doing? And the last thing I will say is this quote that I live by, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You are a living story. Share your story. You Everybody needs to hear your voice and everyone needs to hear your story. Definitely. Make your story worth sharing. That is something I will go back with. Uh, Before we go on to the next segment, I just have one question to ask. If you were to talk to one person, who would the person be and what would you ask? So if I could talk to one person, uh, actually, it would be Anthony Bourdain. 
And the reason I, I pick Anthony Bourdain is I was very intrigued how he was a traveler, not a tourist. And mm-hmm. I would love to be in some remote shack, just sitting across from him, having like maybe the most bizarre meal, but just about his perspectives of life, about his perspectives, about countries and people. I think we can learn a lot from travel and remove our biases, remove our, um, you know, ills about people the more we travel. But he's somebody that I think I would like to sit down and have an engaging conversation. I think he would be a really good person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And what would you ask him? Just, Just about the, uh, what I would ask him would be uh, things about, you know, how did you embrace this aspect of combining your rawness with regards to your food with regards to your perspectives and how has that how has this shaped you and how would you like this to be taking taken forward for other people who want to explore more of the world what what would you say would help people discover their journey and and help them mm-hmm. lovely Uh, so we move on to the next segment now. This is going yep. to be called fact or opinion. So I say, I tell you a statement and it might be controversial. It might not. You just got sure. to tell me if it's a fact or an opinion and the reason why you say so. So the first question is every Indian household has a relation named Preeti or Pari. Opinion, but for me, that's a fact. I do have one in my family. <laughs> I have a, a Preeti <laughs> in my family too, too, in fact. So it's definitely a fact, I think. Uh second one is Bollywood music must be played during every wedding every Indian wedding opinion <laughs> and the reason i say that is because um again i mean it's a it, i have to say opinion for me but it is a fact that it will <laughs> happen in every Indian wedding uh that you're going to see the bollywood mix and the bollywood tunes and the bhangra tunes and things like that uh but uh at the same time i do have my go to music as well which i sit there going like i wish they would play my stuff <laughs> so this one next one is quite controversial if you ask me covid-19 is made in a lab <laughs> fact or opinion <laughs> again it's based on opinion because i think that uh, there's a lot of conspiracy theories uh my thing is it's here it's with us now um what good would that do let's just move on and try to figure out how we're going to get through this definitely and my last yeah. question to you is everyone should like needs to buy a copy of lost and found fact or opinion <laughs> um i'm going to say fact uh but at the same time i want to make sure that people are buying it because they really mm-hmm. want to read it i mean if you think of it this way samantha i mean i'm teaching in university and both of my books on personal storytelling lost and found i could easily as as a lecturer make it into required reading and then obviously so many people are buying it but that's not the way i want people to buy my book and uh um i just it, but fact i wish people would actually take the time and just buy it because it's a beautiful story i i mean i pers- i read the story the first a few chapters mm-hmm. i'm going to definitely read the whole book after this interview and i think that everyone should go out there and read it it's a really beautiful story it's a story of self discovery um uh, sam mm-hmm. starts off with you know fi- trying to find his fa- grandfather's village and then moves on to finding himself it's very very beautiful and i can already see it come 
on screen so you we better go and start reading it before it's already on screens oh beautiful and it is available in amazon india okay all right so you'll know where to check it out guys so that brings us to the end of our five arc five marker questions and our one marker questions it was so much fun to have you on the show again uh on the show sam thank you so much for coming i've honestly learned so much and i'm going to take back a lot from our conversation and i'm pretty sure our listeners also are going to take back a lot so before we end the whole interview i would like to ask you could you just plug in your socials you know or uh, sure. is there any upcoming projects that we need to hear about anything that you want mm-hmm. to tell us sure i mean people are more than welcome to come to my website i've got about 180 blog posts that are available and accessible to people and it's very straightforward it's www.sam-thiara my last name.com and that's also where you can find the books and coaching sessions i'm also on linkedin uh instagram and twitter so you'll be able to uh hear about all of the things that i'm up to uh it, it with regards to the projects and things i mean the book the main thing is the lost and found of keep pushing uh, it's a boulder trying to push a boulder up a hill trying to get it to the right people who just i think would really appreciate the story so that's the one the main thing that i'm on the other part is you know speaking at conferences and schools and and helping individuals life and career whether they're in high school post secondary or recent grads looking at opportunities to to visit places and just be able to interact and engage and talk to people yeah definitely so like sam mentioned guys go check out his socials buy his book it's available on amazon and it's honestly a worthwhile read uh with that being said thank you again sam for coming on the show uh another fact for you guys uh I don't know which Samantha George is goat level actually and when it comes to podcasts you need to really check it out and share it with everyone that you know and download and rate it on Apple and Spotify uh that's another fact and just throwing it there <laughs> and uh, it would really mean a lot to me as well with that being said if you have a case or story that you'd like me to cover or you know someone who'd be a perfect guest on our show dm me on idkwsamanthajorge on Instagram and Again, thank you so much Sam for coming on the show. Uh catch me next Friday or Saturday for another fun episode. See you when I see you. Bye.